I suspect, if we know any of the parables, though it may be new to you if you're coming fresh to the Bible. Whether it's brand new to you or whether it's very familiar, we ought to make sure that we actually ask the question, why does Jesus tell it like this? The the problem with Jesus' stories is that they're so, on the face of it, simple, and for some of us have become so familiar that we just sort of take them for granted. We just sort of accept that's how they are. Yet everything in the Gospels tells us that Jesus was an incredibly deliberate speaker. He didn't just sort of simply stumble over things and just say them. He's really careful with the words that he uses, the images that he conjures up. He's very, very deliberate in what he speaks. And he's always got several agendas at play. You find him speaking in a way that the immediate crowd around him can hear. He's having a little dig over here. He's encouraging some people over here. He's dealing with a misconception over here. And at the same time, he knows that actually these are words that are going to go far beyond the people who hear him at the time. Now, we're in a a few weeks thinking together about the good news of God. And this is another parable about the good news, about the kingdom of God coming. So why does Jesus choose the image of seeds? Why does he pick it up? Well, we could say immediately two reasons. One is because it was familiar to the people around him. Most of the things that Jesus chose to speak about were things that his hearers were familiar with. So, you know, in the same way that this morning I, I talked about a lighthouse on the basis that most people here would have at least a notion what a lighthouse was, Jesus used images and language and approaches that people would be able to go, yeah, that's familiar. So they knew what it was to go out into farmland to see uh, farmers uh, literally picking out handfuls of seeds and scattering them, Uh, what was called broadcast sowing. You didn't didn't sort of plough your your rows first and then neatly plant the seeds in. What they did was literally throw the seeds out like that, then get a horse, a pony, a donkey, whatever they had, or pull it themselves, and pull a plough along in the hope that as many seeds as possible would fall into the nice, neat furrows that they'd created. This is familiar stuff. That's one of the reasons he chose it. He wanted people to access it. There's another reason that he chose chose, um, uh, the, the language of the seed, and that comes sort of halfway through our reading. It's a bit more difficult to get our heads around, but he chose uh, parables because it took a bit of effort to understand. Now, I know that sounds the opposite of what I've just said, but there are two different things going on here. On the one hand, there's an image that everybody can access. This isn't simply for the the hyper-educated elite. This is for anyone to to begin to get. But he uses parables because it takes a bit of effort to understand their meaning. And the reason that's important is because what he's going to say here is radical, challenging stuff. This is the sort of stuff he only wants you to hear and to get your heads around if you really want to. He deliberately makes it so there's a little bit of an effort to get to it. But most of all, he uses the image of a seed because in so many different ways, the thought of a seed as being the good news of God that bears fruit gets us on the inside of how God's kingdom works, gets us on the inside of of what the good news of God looks like, how it works, why it is. It's such a rich image. There's all sorts of hooks, if you like, to hang truth on. And so very simply, just in a few minutes, all I want to do is, is... pick up three out of probably seven or eight different things that we could look at, where the idea of the good news of God as a seed is really helpful. 
in helping us to understand the way that God um, works. So I hope you've got it in front of you, um, Mark chapter 4, uh, the parable of the sower. This image of the good news of God as a seed. The first, maybe the most important thing that the image of the seed reminds us of is that the good news of God is God's gift rather than our work. When you look at the story, the, both the farmer and the, and the soil are important, but relatively so. The farmer, for example, is important. Clearly, the farmer has to come along and sow the seed. But in terms of the actual life that comes, he's relatively peripheral. In the way that Jesus tells the story, he doesn't even go along able to say, well, it'll grow best here, so I'll plant here. It's not going to grow so well there, so I won't plant it there. He simply takes a handful of seed and he scatters it. The farmer isn't the one who brings the life. And even if he'd chosen exactly where to plant them, he still has to just, as another one of Jesus' parables makes clear, he still has to basically stand there and wait. The life is in the seed, not in the farmer. The life is a given. It's put into the farmer's hands. He scatters it and sees it grow. Even the soil is basically passive. The soil receives this life. It doesn't create it. Without the, the, the seed, the soil is just soil. Uh, it has potential. It has nutrients. It can give it a place to grow. But the life itself is in the seed. Now, if Jesus' first hearers were able properly to hear this, if they actually took that extra step inside the parable to really understand what it was Jesus was saying, this would have been a bit of a shock to them if they'd really taken it to heart. Because there were many religious leaders of the day that genuinely believed that, look, if we're going to see God's kingdom, if God is going to sort things out, if this life of God is going to come amongst us, we as the, maybe I might not have said farmers, but in terms of the parable, we as the farmers, we've got to get it right. We've got to get our strategy right. We've got to do things right. From their point of view, it would have been we've got to get the worship in the temple right. We've got to get our rituals right. We've got to get our sacrifices right. We've got to get it just as it should be. But they also said to the people, do you know, if you want God's kingdom to come amongst you, you've got to get it right yourself. If you're the soil, you've got to be just so for the life of God to come amongst you. You've got to work hard at being good. You've got to work hard at praying. You've got to work hard at giving to the poor. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. Now this parable doesn't say for a moment that neither leaders nor people have any part to play. The farmer has to sow the seed. The soil has to be receptive. But the danger is that we start to think that it's all about us. Whereas the good news of God is a given. It's him who gives the life that then grows. It's a good corrective. It's a good reminder. It's a reminder to us as a church and to us as individuals. If we think of us as a part of the people of God, maybe as the farmers, those who sow the seed, it's very easy to start heading down the track that thinks, do you know this is all about us getting the structures right, getting our, um, uh, the way we do things right. Let's get the right programs and the right building and the, the right staff members and the right style of worship, and then it's all okay. And on the other hand, as individuals, we start to think, well, this, this pressure on us to, to pray enough, to read the Bible enough, to be good enough, to give enough. 
And it's not that this parable says to us, it's irrelevant what we do as a church, and it doesn't matter what you do as an individual. What it says is, those are secondary. It's about grace. It's about response. As a farmer, I'm given the good news of God to scatter. But it's a given. As a follower of Jesus, this good news from God is planted in me. It's a given. That's really good news. That's the best of all news, that this good news is grace. God makes the first move. God gives it to us. We neither generate it nor are the source of it. He gives it. That's the first thing. The the most important thing. Everything else flows from that. The second thing is, I guess, just to, to, to flip the coin for a moment and say there is another side to this, of course, because it's a reminder that that soil has to receive that good news. The way that Jesus tells the story reminds us that there are fundamentally two ways of receiving what God gives. Now, you might think that's odd. There are seemingly four ways of receiving it. Uh, From verse 4, some falls along the path, some falls on rocky places, uh, some um, uh, uh, falls amongst thorns, and some falls in good soil. But actually, the first three of those, in every case, nothing is produced. Nothing of consequence, nothing that actually goes anywhere. The thing that the seed was sown for, which is fruitfulness, doesn't occur. So verse 4, the birds come and eat it up. In verse 5, there aren't deep enough roots, and so when the sun comes out, it just withers. In verse 7, the thorns grow up and choke it. It's in common with quite a lot of the parables Jesus tells, where he he gives three um, examples of one thing which build to one example of the good thing. It's quite a regular pattern in Jesus' parables. And here we have three examples of soil that in the end doesn't receive the seed in a way that brings fruit. Either because it's snatched away straight away and makes no impact, or because its roots never go down very deeply and all the pressures of life that come along uh, just sort of um, uh, eat away at us and, and wither us. Or because there's thorns all around us and, 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 uh, and whether it's the, the pressures of life or the, 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 what other people might think of us. Uh, swallow us up. There are two ways of receiving the word of God. One way, whether it looks good from the outside or not, in the end produces no fruit. Either because the roots don't go down deeply enough or because we let other things grow up around it or because we were never interested in the first place. But, says Jesus, there are also different ways of receiving it well, being good soil. And he says it has to do with being fruitful. It has to do with yielding a return. Now, this is something that his hearers would have been very familiar with. Perhaps we've never thought about. When you plant a seed of corn... You plant it in the ground, and when the corn head comes up, there might be 10 more seeds, 20 more seeds, 30 more seeds, 60, even 100 more seeds. Now, actually, in those days, a a yield of 30-fold would have been relatively common. That's what you'd have aimed for. 60-fold, well, that would have been stratospheric. You'd have been partying for weeks off the back of 60 seeds per one that you planted. 100 was unheard of. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He's painting this picture to say to us, you can be good soil, where God's word, the good news of Jesus, is planted in you and you bear fruit. But you need to know that you can aim far higher than you think. 
in terms of what God can do in and through you. Yeah, you can aim to be much the same as every other Christian around you. Yield 30-fold. Aim to be, I guess, a, the best parent or husband or wife or a colleague at work or friend that you possibly can be and, and live out your faith quietly and, and, and yield good, important fruit that way. For some of us, God plants us something in us that actually yields fruit that, that seems to have a much wider uh, fruit. And actually, we start talking to our friends about, about Jesus and they start hearing that good news themselves and, and those seeds start to grow and then they start yielding fruit. What Jesus is trying to give is a picture of the possibility of what that seed can produce in us. And that's the third thing. That Jesus uses this image as a seed, yes, to remind us it's all about God. It's a gift God gives of good life planted in us. Yes, it's a reminder that that seed has to be received. And there are fundamentally two ways of receiving it. One that bears fruit and the other that doesn't. But the third reason that he uses the image of a seed is because of what a seed is for. What sort of thing it is. Now, there are other um, parables that Jesus tells that speak of the kingdom of God as being like something fundamentally inert. Do you remember the pearl of great price? And there he's saying to us, look, what God is giving you is so precious, it's worth giving everything else for. But here he's saying to us something completely different. A seed on its own doesn't have value sat in a display case. If somebody gives you a seed, it is utterly pointless sitting in a drawer or sitting in a picture frame, or sitting in your pocket, or your wallet, or being saved up to eat on its own, a single seed. The seed has a purpose. When the flower or the plant drops that seed, its purpose is to produce fruit, is to produce, therefore, more seeds. That's its purpose. Anything less than that, and it's been wasted. In the great life cycle of a plant, even being eaten, eaten, in the end, is meant to produce more seeds as it's made, taken somewhere else, uh, excreted out the other end, sorry to get so too, quite so graphic on this summer and Sunday morning, and, and effectively planted so it can produce more. In the end, seeds are there for growing. Seeds are there for fruit and fruitfulness. So Jesus is saying to us, this gift that God gives that you're to receive and, and nurture is not just treasure It's a seed. It's a seed that can produce incredible fruit. So if you and I have at some point in our history, whether it's last week, last decade, last century, I guess it was 2015, it might be last century, at some point if we have received that seed with joy of any description, with, with, with acceptance, with willingness. This is for me. This is God's gift for me. This is good news that Jesus did live and die and rise again for me, that I am forgiven, that I am precious to him. That's wonderful. That's a pearl of great price. But it says, Jesus, don't leave it on the mantelpiece. Don't leave it in your wallet. Don't leave it stuck in a drawer. This is meant to be bearing fruit in you. Otherwise, the danger is that you've never received it at all. The danger is that you're like the ground that was too rocky or too shallow or like a path and the seed is just taken away. The danger is that, I don't know, when your kids are too old to just be put under one arm and brought to church or don't have to be here for the sake of a school or you've moved somewhere different and you don't know the new church or life just gets busier and there are other reasons why you might not come, 
If that seed hasn't taken root and isn't beginning to bear fruit, it'll just die. It'll just go. You'll miss out on the utter joy of God's life bearing fruit in your life. And I don't care who you are. The life is in the seed. Therefore, you can be soil that receives it. Whoever you are, that seed can bear fruit. The fruit of changing your life for good? Absolutely. The fruit of changing your family's life for good? Definitely. The fruit of changing the life of your friends, colleagues, community, the world? For sure. I was thinking about Tours this morning because I was thinking about her, what's happening for her. And do you know, if you'd met her 10, 15 years ago uh, and said to her that in 15 years' time she would be being licensed to be vicar of St. Matthew's in Exeter, she would have absolutely uh, laughed in your face. She didn't know what particular fruit God was going to bear in her life. Now, her being a vicar isn't more, more important fruit than what God's going to do in your life. That's not the point. It's that you never know what the future holds. You don't know what fruit God is going to bring. Because the, the life God gives is in the seed. Your and my life is the, simply the soil into which it can put down its roots and bear fruit. So an encouragement and a challenge this morning, as ever. The encouragement is, this is a gift. The good news of God is God's good news. He puts the seed into our hands to sow. He puts the seed into our hearts to grow. But the challenge is, don't miss out on being the farmer and the soil. Don't miss out on the job of spreading that seed coping with the ups and downs of some seed that doesn't even go anywhere, another seed that goes too quickly, and of the slowness sometimes of the growth of that seed in people's lives. But at the same time, don't miss out on the sheer joy of God bringing change and fruit to your life, to the life of your kids, to the life of your family, colleagues, community. What fruit might God have borne in your life in 15 years' time? And if the answer's probably nothing, then go digging, go watering. Give it a home in which it can grow. Let's pray. And then John and the band are going to come and lead us in a couple of songs as we close. Jesus, thank you for this uh, beautiful uh, and challenging parable. Thank you for using an image that we can connect with. But thank you too for the challenge of having to work on it and chew it over and and walk into it. Jesus, we pray that you will remind us of this tremendous gift. But that we wouldn't miss out on the sheer joy of both being farmers who spread the seed and the soil in which that seed can grow and bear fruit. And we pray that as we look back in five years' time, ten years' time, fifteen years' time, we would be those in whom that seed has borne fruit, thirty, sixty, even a hundredfold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.